Point number one, turn on microphone. So I'm in good shape so far. Good morning. Uh, hope you're all doing very well today. Let's open with a word of prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Any day that you give us is a beautiful day, and especially when we're able to dwell in your house, to be with you, to be with your people. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to come together, to share, to love each other, to help each other with our whatever trials and adversities we're having. Lord, um, please be with those who are not with us today and just to guide them and hope that they are finding sustenance in you. Lord, uh, I would ask that you please be with me today as I try to deliver your message. Let your words come through me. And uh, please be with uh, all of us today as we go about our daily business. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, most of you know that my name is Tom Brock, and I am number 72 on the list of available fill-ins for Matt Broadway. <laughs> and I'd like to thank all 71 of you <laughs> higher on the list who were unavailable <laughs> to do this today. Actually, one of my goals today is to just make you remember and appreciate how good a pastor and a speaker that Matt Broadway is. So really, the worse that I do behind the lectern today, the more successful I am at accomplishing that goal. In fact, if I can get you to leave today thinking, eh, that new guy was okay, but he's no Matt Broadway, jackpot. <laughs> I do want to give you a little heads up. Uh, after I finish talking to you, Matt has allowed for a time of testimony, and this can be something, it can be anything that you're appreciative of. Uh, that God has done for you, maybe something in your walk uh, with the Lord that has, has come to mind. But if you, if you also need a little idea starter, it could be something like uh, what we're going to be talking about today, and that is uh, how God has helped you to feel content even when the circumstances may have prompted you to be otherwise. You don't have to do it on that, but that's just something if you want to think about, how has the Lord gotten me through tough times? I've been content in Him. Today we're going to be talking about Philippians 4, 10 through 13. So if you'd like to turn that passage to your Bibles or pew Bibles. Um, and I'll tell you how I came to choose that particular passage. Back uh, between my freshman and sophomore years in college, so that was 1974 and 1975, I worked with an outdoor drama down in Waxhaw called Listen and Remember. And this was a fictionalized version of the history of the late 1700s and early 1800s when Andrew Jackson was becoming, uh, was, well, when he was born, was becoming a young man and heading toward eventually becoming president. So the um, play was, was a drama. I think there was some singing involved with it. And there was one particular scene where there were four ladies that, let's see, describe them, I guess as young at heart, four ladies sitting around in a quilting bee. And so what they were doing was making a quilt, basically. Well, three of the ladies were constantly gossiping and just talking about people in the church, people they knew, uh, just all kind of gossip people and things like that. But there was one lady who tried to reel them back in, and what she would do, she would only speak in Bible verses. So they would say something or other, blah, 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 and then she would quote a Bible verse. And I'm not quite sure of the context of it, but one that particularly stuck with me was that, um, for I have learned in all things to be content, Philippians 4, 11. So that has stuck with me, and if you're in house to house or our Sunday school class, then you've probably heard me say that four or five times. So maybe after today I can finally retire that. There are various translations of that section. Here's the NIV version, Philippians 4, beginning with verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, 
whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, a little bit of context. Paul was in a Roman prison when he wrote this letter. It was about 61 AD. And uh, I think the charges were kind of trumped up. But he was faced with the possibility of death, execution. He didn't know for sure that he'd be getting out of this prison. And the Philippians lived in the town of Philippi, which is on the Greek coast. Uh, Philippi, the church in Philippi was the first church that Paul had established on the continent of Europe. And this was during his second missionary journey. So the Philippines have sent Paul a gift, a financial gift. But he's kind of conflicted about accepting the gift. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had an opportunity to show it. So Paul acknowledges that the Philippians had long been concerned about his welfare, but he had no opportunity to show it. And this could be because they were going through some financial burden times of their own, burden times of their own, uh, didn't really have money to spare. Could be that they just couldn't get a messenger to Paul. But eventually they did send a financial gift to help with his ministry, maybe to help with his legal situation, uh, whatever the reason, they did get the gift to him. Paul was truly appreciative of the Philippians for caring about him and being willing to come off the hip to help support him and his ministry. And this was a time that Paul really was in need. So let's come back to modern times just a little bit. You don't have to raise your hands, but just uh, think to yourself, how many of you here at Doolin's Grove would consider yourself happy? I'm going to guess that most of you would say, well, all things considered, I'm pretty happy. Well, that's not surprising. But let me take it a step further. How many of you are happy all of the time? That's where it gets trickier. It could be simple things like I had a little spat with my spouse last night and neither one of us is happy about that. It could be that someone put a ding in your new car or totaled your 10-year-old car. Not happy. It could be something really big like a loved one passing away, losing a job, uh, having to decide between paying the power bill or buying groceries. We have lots of reasons to not be happy all of the time. But even if we're not happy, we can still be content and vice versa. A man named Stephen J. Cole, who is one of the authors that I read in preparing for today's lesson, um, gives an example of a pilot flying over the Tennessee mountains. And he looks down and he sees a lake down on the, in the mountains. And he says to his co-pilot, when I was a boy, I used to be on a rowboat out there fishing. And every day when I looked up, any time that I saw an airplane passing over above, I'd look up and think, boy, I wish I was flying that plane. Well, now, as a pilot, I look down and think, boy, I wish I was in that rowboat fishing. Uh, so he was happy being a pilot, no doubt, but he still wasn't completely content all of the time. We as human beings have always struggled with being content. Right from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were in paradise. All of their needs were taken care of. Most importantly, they had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. They talked to him. God talked back to him. But that wasn't enough. They wanted to know everything that God knew. And this was probably just one step away from wanting to be gods like God. The Israelites of Moses' time, Exodus chapter 32. God had brought them up out of slavery in Egypt. He had brought the plagues to soften Pharaoh's heart. He had parted the Red Sea so they could pass through to safety. Well, then just months after they had escaped from Egypt, they were grousing. They were grumbling. Uh, We'd been better off staying as slaves back in Egypt. This great, powerful, and wonderful God was not enough for their praise and worship. No, they even had to have a golden calf. If they just had a golden calf, then they would be content. King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David was the great king of the ages. 
He was rich, powerful, admired, had lots of wives. He was blessed by God. He was loved by God. But he saw another man's wife, Bathsheba, taking a bath, and he decided he wanted her too. So he got her. But to make sure there was no conflict with his wants, he had it arranged so that Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was placed at the front of the battlefield. And as it turns out, Uriah was killed. The Lord was not pleased with this. And the most important biblical example of people not being content were the Jews of Jesus' day. They wanted a king who would lead them from their domination of the Romans, probably in battle. When Jesus proved to be a different kind of king, with a different kind of kingdom, they weren't satisfied. Even to the point where, when given a chance to spare Jesus' life, they shouted instead, Give us Barabbas. So here we are 2,000 years later, and nothing much has really changed. We sue each other. We play the lottery. We show our lack of contentment in our high divorce rate. Um, We have a lot of consumer debt. We too often live beyond our means. And we're not content with our lives, so we turn to alcohol or drugs to help us escape. Now, these are people that are from my growing up time, and different generations may have different folks. But uh, folks like Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, John Belushi, I guess more recently Whitney Houston, Amy Winehouse... They all died from excessive use of alcohol or drugs because they were trying to find escape, trying to find contentment, but just not having any luck. Kurt Cobain committed suicide, as did even more recently Robin Williams. All people looking desperately for something that they didn't have, looking for contentment in their lives, looking probably everywhere except toward Jesus. Professional athletes show their lack of contentment. Being good is not good enough. Being great is not great enough. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, uh, Alex Rodriguez. Uh, They were probably all headed to the Hall of Fame, but that wasn't enough for them. They had to start taking performance-enhancing drugs to try to be even better. Tiger Woods, the best or second-best golfer of all time. He's on a pace to break all the golfing records that he didn't already own. He was monstrously rich. He had a beautiful wife, two kids. He's the definition of had it all. But it wasn't enough for him. He didn't have contentment. Now, I'm pointing out kind of high-profile, wealthy, successful people here, but these same kind of things happen at whatever levels around the world. Whatever, uh, throughout our country, no doubt in our community, probably in our church and our families. All right, so we know the problem exists. We find it hard to be content. What do we do about it? Let's go back to Philippians 4.11. Paul writes, I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul is a bit torn because he's trying to show his appreciation, but at the same time impressing upon the Philippians that he is content. He is spiritually content. He may be poor, he may be in jail, but he is content because he has Jesus. All right, now that's Paul. He's kind of on the Mount Rush of biblical personalities. What about us, the lowly, the sinful, uh, the struggling? How can we hope to achieve the contentment that Paul had? Well, look at the second part of verse 11. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. For I have learned to be content. He says it again in verse 12. I have learned the secret of being content. Contentment is not something that we're inherently born with at birth. A little redundant. (laughs) He would be born at birth. Uh, Look at a newborn baby, continuing up on into his toddler years. He's not content. He wants what he wants, and he wants it right now. And if he doesn't get it, he's going to cry and scream and make everybody's life miserable and Maybe even roll around on the floor until he gets what he wants. Over time, we learn to behave differently, to think differently. We can learn to be content. 
The word content comes from a Greek word meaning self-sufficient or independent. Julia introduced Greek word in Sunday school today, so today is our, our Greek lesson. I don't know, it all sounds Greek to me. Um, today, as we ascribe a slightly different meaning to it, more like satisfied with what one has, not wanting more or anything else. So what does contentment mean in biblical or spiritual terms? Stephen Cole says that it is an inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that he is in control of all that happens to us. And that sounds pretty good to me. It means having our focus on the kingdom of God and serving him, not on the love of money or things. Contentment also means not being battered around by difficult circumstances or people, not being wrongly seduced by prosperity because our life is centered on a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens to us or what others do to us, we have the steady assurance that the Lord is for us and he will not forsake us. How do we learn to be content? Well, two obvious practical ways are through prayer and reading the Bible. We become content when we fully trust God, when we can get past the notion of thinking that I know God is all-knowing, all-around us, all-powerful, but sometimes he needs my help. Usually we think in those terms of because we're not getting exactly what we want, so we're going to nudge God in that direction. Prayer factors into this when we have an ongoing conversation with God. And a conversation is two-sided. It's not just us asking, Lord, please do this for me. Please do that for somebody else. It's not even occasionally remember to say, thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for what you did for that person. It's really taking time to listen to God and what he might be saying to us. So the Bible is full of uh, examples of people who were not content with what they had. But it also gives us guidelines for trusting in God's provision for us and learning to be content. The 23rd Psalm is a great starting place. Ironically, this is a psalm written by David, who I used as an example of somebody that was not content. Now, I was originally just concentrating on the first verse, but then as I kept reading, I think the whole passage is appropriate to us learning to be content. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if that doesn't reassure us, then what will? Well, how about this passage directly from Jesus in Matthew 6, 25 through 27, and verse 34. And again, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So in other words, you can trust God to take care of you. You can be content in him. Now, please note that God promises to take care of our needs, but not necessarily our greed, our wants. We often have trouble distinguishing between what we need and what we want. There's a story of a Jewish man who went to his rabbi and he said, 
Life is so unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi answered, take your goat into your room with you. I'm not quite sure what kind of accident the rabbi had, but that's how he sounded. (laughs) The man was incredulous, but the rabbi insisted, do as I say and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned, looking more distraught than ever. We can't stand it, he told the rabbi. The goat is filthy, smelly, and he eats everything inside. The rabbi said, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned, radiant, exclaiming, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there's no goat. Only the nine of us. Perspective seems to help, doesn't it? Now, it's not too difficult to be content when things are rocking along nicely. You have all those middle-class things like a home, a car, enough to eat, college tuition, a little discretionary income. You're pretty secure in your job. Your family doesn't have any major health issues. Your marriage seems to be sound. Your kids haven't been suspended from school in at least a week. Uh, And the new Sony 65-inch 4K high-definition television set is pretty sweet, even if you did spend a bit more than than you could afford. But can you maintain that feeling of contentment when the times start to get a little bit harder? For instance, your parent company announces 2,500 layoffs and you're number 2498. The insurance company won't cover your house unless you build a new porch. That'd be us. <laughs> and they won't help to pay for it. Your husband has a stroke and Blue Cross Blue Shield will only pay so much. How can we stay content when our circumstances have changed so drastically? Well, through any or all of that, what has not changed? God. God saw your circumstances when you were flush. God knows your situation when you struggle. Okay, if that's true, why doesn't he do anything about it? First, how do we know God's not doing anything about it? I sometimes uh, liken life to one of those little puzzles that a lot of us had when we were kids. They were finger puzzles, and they had 16 squares, and one square was missing, and you'd slide the little pieces around to make a design. Well, we get so fixated in our little corner down the bottom left in our little you know, we're square down the bottom left corner that we don't realize that God is manipulating all these other puzzle pieces around so that he can get to our corner square. It's only after he's all gotten all the other pieces in place that he can do that. He's working, we just don't see it. It could also be that God says we need some adversity in our lives to better serve his greater purpose. Why is this? I don't know. Could be that we need to trust him more. Could be that we need to be humbled it could be that we'll have a far greater testimony when he has helped us recover from our adversity than we ever would have had if we were just sailing along smoothly through smooth waters. Whatever his reason, we can know that he's watching over us. Now, Paul doesn't say that he's learned to be content just when things are okay or when times are tough. He also says in Philippians 4, verse 12, I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul has had lean years, but he's also had fat years. Those good times can be equally challenging. For instance, once you've had a taste of champagne, you may feel like, uh, yeah, that's pretty nice, but that $200 bottle of Dom Perignon would really be nice. Uh, A Mercedes is sweet, but a Lamborghini would be even sweeter. My home is, is all right, but I really need a beach house and maybe a mountain chalet. The rich in our society are always having to worry about, what do I do if it all goes away? How will I survive? Well, I said that they're always having to worry, but not if they're content. 
Not if they understand that, as Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount, they came into this world with nothing and they will leave with nothing. If they understand that they are stewards of God's money and possessions, they will act accordingly. If they remember that it was God that gave them great wealth, and if he so chooses that God can take it away, then perhaps they'll be okay. If, like Paul, they can be content when they have plenty and when they are in need, then they will be happy, satisfied, and are starting to grasp the idea of kingdom living. Paul finishes this segment by saying in verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is not to say that Paul or any of us can develop superpowers or do superhuman deeds. Although seeing movies like The Avengers and Fantastic Four and Ant-Man, it happens more often than I would have thought. What Paul is saying is that if I am in Christ Jesus, if I am serving his purpose, if I believe in him and desire to tell the world of the good news of his life, death, and resurrection, then he will give me the strength I need to do his bidding. And I will be content in life because of him. To put it simply, God is all we need. God will provide for us. God will comfort us when we need comforting. He will strengthen us when we need a little confidence building. He will straighten us out when we go astray. And he will reward us when we follow in his way. Although that reward may not always be financial or in a material form. God is sufficient for us. That's what Paul was trying to say to the Philippians as he was graciously accepting their gift. On the one hand, he was saying, thank you very much for caring about me and trying to help me out. But in another way, he was saying that even without their gift, he would be fine because he had the Lord. We can learn to be content in all things. It may not be easy, and there will be days when we feel less content than on other days. But if we remember that God is in control, that God cares for each of us individually, and most importantly, that God loves us, how can we not be content and feel God's peace? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you watch over each of us individually, that you love us, that you care about us, that you you know all the trials and tribulations that we go through, and you're always there as a confidant, as a guide, as an inspiration. Lord, we also know that you're looking out for us, that you're working on our behalf. We may not always see that, and it's sometimes hard to trust that you were doing that, but we do know that. And Lord, please just give us confidence, give us trust in you, that you always have our best interests in heart. Lord, we just thank you for all the blessings that you bestow upon us. We thank you for all that you keep out of our past that we never even see. Thank you for this day. Please be with us as we go forward in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.